1: Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hello
2: there and welcome to the Times Business Podcast. That's where we look ahead to some of the events at least that are going to be moving market and certainly shaping investment decisions. I'm Robert Miller. That means this week, looking at the energy landscape, assessing the state of the housing market, and finally, asking how many times Mark Carney can change his mind on interest rates. I'm joined in the studio by Martin Waller, editor of the Tempest column, Emily Gosden, she's the energy editor, and Tom Knowles, who's our economics and property correspondent. Uh, Welcome to you all. Emily, let me start with you and the energy sector. Big picture first, a lot of investors obviously have gone into the sector for dividend income, so anything that's going to affect those payments possibly is of interest to them. Let's just hear a clip of what Theresa May said in the election campaign in answer to a question on energy price caps.
3: What we've done is looked at the results that the uh, competition authority, the Independent Competition Authority, found when they looked at the energy market here in the UK. They found that the customers of the six largest suppliers... In a year, we're paying £1.4 billion more than they would have done if there was a truly competitive market. I think, in those circumstances, it's right, as does everybody sitting around the cabinet table, for government to take action to support working families. And what we're talking about is a cap on energy prices uh, that will be set by an independent regulator and that will be a reflection of uh, the market and will ensure that people, and it will, crucially, it'll be possible for that cap to move, but the independent regulator will set it.
2: Emily, that was then, of course, and uh, now we have a government with a very powerless majority. How has this affected the outlook, given that there's a lot of things they can't do, the government now? What's the outlook for energy companies?
3: Well, the short answer is we don't really know yet, um, and so the energy companies remain in limbo, really, in the run-up to the election, they started to, I think, accept that it looked like that the writing was on the wall, the energy price cap was going to happen, There, you had Theresa May sort of saying as much in, in black and white in the pages of The Sun. Um, and then I think the companies couldn't believe their luck when the result came in, and they thought, great, it's a chance to bin off this policy, which could have quite severe financial consequences for some of them. Uh, it appears to be a bit of a political muddle. We know some of the Cabinet really thought this was quite an anti-business measure that they weren't at all comfortable with. And it seems to have been subject to a bit of a row within government, uh, which ended up with a bit of a funny compromise last week in the Queen's speech, whereby the Queen's speech did vow to um, to sort of take action on energy prices, but left out the specifics of a price cap. But earlier this week, we saw Greg Clark in Parliament, he's the Energy Secretary, saying that they stood by the manifesto commitment However, they seem to have kicked this over to Ofgem, the energy regulator, saying, we'd like you to come up with plans on on what you can do to intervene in the market. And Greg Clark sort of seems to be saying that he wants them to go away and come up with the price cap, but he can't actually instruct them to do it. So we're in a very odd situation the regulator had previously said that it would be up to the government to order a price cap. It didn't feel that that was its role as a competitive market regulator. So we are waiting to see how Ofgem responds to this latest edict from government. So from the point of view of energy companies and from investors, they're still waiting, still uncertain.
2: Looking in the broader picture of energy, I suppose nowadays it encompasses nuclear, uh, wind, solar, all sorts of things, biodigesters. Do you feel that This government is committed in any way to ensuring, say, and I'm thinking here as smaller companies in wind and solar, that they're going to contribute more to the the power grid or is it really still just nuclear and the the big six energy companies? Are they really what it's about?
3: Um, I think... The commitment to nuclear certainly seems to have wavered somewhat um, under the Theresa May administration. Obviously, one of her very first decisions when uh, she came to power last summer was to order a, a review on the Hinkley project. And although she did eventually decide to go ahead with it, a lot of people felt that her hands were tied. It would have been liable for compensation had they cancelled at that point. We think nuclear... It's still featured in their plans. It was mentioned within the industrial strategy, but very, very light on detail. And the problem is, if you look at all these projects, which were supposed to be following Hinkley, they are all mired in a lot of difficulties. We've seen Toshiba's financial problems um, casting a lot of doubt over the new gen venture up in Cumbria. Toshiba are looking to sell that. Could see the South Koreans coming in and using an entirely different reactor type, which would throw that off course. Um, And then the Horizon Venture down in Gloucestershire is still very much wrangling over how on earth you afford this thing. Um, So nuclear potentially is still on the agenda, but a lot of questions about it. I think the interesting thing is it's not necessarily up to government in a sense that there's a lot of very rapid technological change going on in the sector. The costs of solar, for example, are coming down far more quickly than the government ever anticipated. And... To an extent, events are overtaking them, and it will be the economics that decides it as much as it will be a, a political decision.
4: I think the first thing to say is that those of us whose memories stretch back more than a couple of decades are aware that price caps and interference in markets tends not to work. That's generally been the experience in the past. Um, the government has just decided to kick it into the long grass. Classic case of we're not making a decision now. Bung it over to the regulator and see um, see what happens in a couple of years' time. I mean, who knows? Who cares? Um it's a pretty cowardly approach, but then it, you could say either it's cowardly or it's simply a question of of of, of real politics and they just they just don't want to get involved in any of this. They made some promises ahead of the election and they, they looked at them and thought, I think we have other more pressing things to do. Um, if one point four billion is being spent extra by consumers by not because they're not switching, it's not because they can't switch. It's because they can't be really bothered to switch. I'm not entirely clear what you do about that, frankly. Neither here nor there. In investment terms. I, I I wouldn't lose a moment's sleep over the sort of dividend yields you're getting, particularly people like National Grid, um, on any of this. I don't think it has any investment relevance whatsoever, frankly. Certainly not in the, in the next couple of years.
2: Emily, do you think that's do you think that's fair?
3: Well, I suppose National Grid is in in the lucky position that, that because most of its UK business, at least, is is regulated. Then it's kind of insulated from this f- from the pure retail price impact of of any uh, price caps that might come in. Uh, Centrica and SSE would be the two who would be most exposed. Um, and you know, when this proposal first came out, people were questioning how sustainable their dividends would be, um, but. Certainly, given the weaker position that the government is in, and given that the regulator itself appears reticent to go for this, one would have to think that things are pointing towards a more benign outcome than they were prior to the election, at least.
4: I think, to be fair, the concerns over centric and SEC dividends weren't weren't really an awful lot to do with a potential price cap, more to do with what's happening within the company,
2: the companies. Tom, if I could bring you in here... It seems to me that a lot of the things we've just talked about, the the wind, the solar uh, that were mentioned, a lot of these industries receive huge subsidies, ultimately, from the taxpayer. If, as Emily was saying, that things like solar panel, the costs are coming down, presumably this is good news for a Treasury that's looking to save money. And do you think or do you hear from your sources in the Treasury that they would like to cut some of these subsidies that they're giving away? Because, goodness me, they could find other things to do with that money.
5: Yeah, so I'm, I'm sure I am sure they would. Um, but as Emily says, it, it, it's it, the the economy takes over, doesn't it? it, it, it that's what governs things. And I, I think in a way, the government can only do so much. It, it's going to be sort of what becomes cheaper over time. If ex- cold extraction becomes more expensive, if sort of, it would it, be interesting to see if in future the consumers become more conscious that they want their energy to come from wind or solar. There was, it feels odd that you know, five years ago or, or more, there was such a talk about environmental concerns, and now that seems to have dropped out of the picture entirely, hasn't it? I mean, I I, I think no one really talks about that anymore, and certainly the Conservatives have dropped that as one the, of well, their key images of being more eco-friendly and relying more on you know alternative fuels. Emily, do you, do
2: you feel that they are now getting to a stage? These ones we've been talking about a lot of smaller companies involved in these that at last they might be able to stand on their own feet, that there is an economic case for alternative renewable energy sources as opposed to the dominant, you know, the coals, the the crude oil, that sort of thing?
3: I don't think we're there yet, but I think there are signs that it is, is moving rapidly into sight. Um, there are still some subsidies on offer for um, for things like household soda panels, so they're, they're much reduced from from what they were Um Maybe they're barely subsidies anymore. And those are actually getting to the point where if you install those and also perhaps go for a home battery to complement it so you can save up that solar power when you don't need it during the day because you're out at work and you can use it in the evenings and cut yourself off from sort of more expensive grid energy, then it is starting to become a more attractive investment proposition. You hear companies talking about people being able to make their money back in... 10 years or so and they think that's going to come down to sort of six or seven years as you install the batteries which can do sort of sophisticated things where they discharge power back to the grid when it needs it rather than you using it so technology is, is changing a lot and, and there is definitely i think a possibility that we'll, we'll see people investing in things in their own homes um being a big trend in years to come
2: martin do you do you see any sign of that so far is it has that hove into view in the, on the tempest horizon Well,
4: very much so. Um, There are any number of specialist funds whose job is going around buying up solar and uh, wind power assets and using the income from that to fund quite generous dividend payments. Um, It's it's a fairly well-established and fairly new, well-established sector of the stock
2: market. Well, I'm getting the feeling all is not lost on the energy sector then for an investment
1: case. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about
4: work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
1: When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all.
0: Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tom, we're going to be hearing
2: from some housing companies uh, in the coming days. That's including some Modwin properties and Countrywide. But first, can you just set the scene of the housing market post-election and looking forward? If I was looking for a house or looking to sell a house, would it be a good time?
5: Oh, well, um, I, f- I feel you'll get m- very mixed messages about that at the moment. I mean... Uh, if you had asked me last month, I would said house prices are starting to drop nationwide. Uh, showed three months of consecutive uh, monthly house price drops, which is the first time that had happened since two thousand nine, and so there was lots of concern about whether you know the housing market is starting to come near perhaps a, a correction. We could say not a fall, I don't think, but then it's picked up again this month. Uh, nationwide has said house prices picked up. Halifax have said the same thing. I think at the moment. Basically, what's happening is a lot of people are choosing not to move. First-time buyers still have a lot of incentives to move. They're they're helped by the government. But those who are perhaps moving a bit up the property ladder, things like stamp duty, uncertainty, uh, sort of just the big costs of moving have put them off it. And that's why uh, estate agents like Foxton's and Countrywide are struggling. You know, they've both had to issue profit warnings over the last year because – people just aren't moving as much. The transaction levels have, have declined. And the Royal Institute of Charter Surveyors said that, you know, while new buyer inquiries are softening, the amount of people putting their homes up for sale is just so low. It's it's near record lows on estate agents' books. So um it, it and that, I think will keep a, a a price sort of bottom on, on, on prices falling. Uh, that sort of shortage of supply will just keep it up.
4: I think it's essential here in terms of the stock market to distinguish between the new build market and the second-hand market. And Tom's quite right. The, the, the estate agents are suffering badly because people are sitting tight. If you've got a house, you have every incentive not to move. You're not quite sure what the, the market or the country or the economy will look like in two years' time distinction is with the first-time buyer market which is what the house builders are reliant on you have to understand that while estate agents are doing quite badly um i was talking to the uh, head of one of our biggest house builders quite recently and we were sitting around literally saying well what could go wrong We've been saying this for about six years now trying to work out what could happen in the first-time buyers market that could see the whole thing turned down and we couldn't think of anything and i've been saying this for a long time um you know the demand is there OK, mortgages may, at some stage, become more expensive. Interest rate, rates rise at the moment. At the moment, they're virtually free. Um, and you're getting help to buy from the government. Uh, and the house builders are... Every single trading announcement from the house builders is positive, positive, positive on every single metric. And it's difficult to see what could happen that could change that. Uh, plus, they're paying some... lot of them are paying very, some very hefty dividend yields.
2: I was going to say, Emily, just looking at it, we were talking there, you mentioned, um, as I thought was rather interesting, a lot of people, and where there's growth is... Uh, people using solar, smaller uh, wind turbines for, for, for their own homes. Are you encouraged by the number of house builders that seem to be talking about making sustainable energy homes using sources like you say, or do you feel actually there's a long way to go?
3: Um, It's an issue which has kind of been kicked back and forth, as I understand it from a regulatory point of view over the last few years. There were certainly plans on the table at one stage to introduce much, much stricter um, regulations on on new homes uh, to force them to to adhere to a really, really high standard um, on insulation and that kind of thing. And from what I recall, that didn't end up coming through in, in anything like the form it was first proposed, because of a bit of a, a backlash from people who were worried it would increase the costs of building new homes. I don't know whether that is coming back on the agenda. It certainly sounds like building regulations in general are going to be very much back in the spotlight in the light of this Grenfell Tower disaster and so on. So, I guess a lot of you know a lot of people who were critical of climate change measures and so on, jumped on the Grenfell disaster and the use of insulation there to try and suggest that insulation was all terrible. So I think that's clearly a rather extreme position to take, but I, I expect to see the entire framework of regulation back up for discussion, I should think.
5: I think house builders are led a lot by, you know, what customers demand and, and, and that's what drives them a lot. But, I mean, going back to Martin's point, I think one of the key things that house builders could could fall up on is 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 sort of perhaps accelerating their de, sort of um output too much there's we saw the case last year with bovis who were a bit too uh, ambitious perhaps in in their supply plans. and because of that sort of ended up missing targets and then trying to sort of speed up too quickly and then producing some shoddy homes, which customers complained about. So it's more their own sort of doing that that will trip them up. But for the outside conditions, yeah, house builders are having a great time and and we keep seeing amazing profits coming out each quarter from from the biggest house builders.
2: Well, one of the things we've all talked about there was interest rates. And of course, with your economics uh, correspondence hat on, you can shed some light on the forward guidance that's uh, being given by Mark Carney to markets uh, and consumers about the likelihood of an interest rate, which obviously is going to affect us all. Let's listen to a clip of what the Bank of England governor said
0: just earlier this month. Different members of the MPC will understandably have different views about the outlook and therefore about the potential timing of any bank rate increase. From my perspective... Given the mixed signals on consumer spending and business investment, and given the still subdued domestic inflationary pressures, in particular, anemic wage growth, now is not yet the time to begin that adjustment.
2: Tom, the governor there, he's changed his mind again, hasn't he?
5: Yeah, uh, fast forward in uh, just, just a week later, and Mark Carney says that some removal of monetary stimulus is likely to become necessary over the coming months if business investment continues to grow even while consumer slowdown is 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 uh, as consumer spending starts slowing <laughs> Whoosh! That's the sound of the the pound soaring to a three week high against the dollar on on the back of those comments uh, and lots of people saying, you know, d- you're making things quite confusing for us because only a few hours earlier, John Cunliffe, um, another uh, Bank of England official, He's a deputy governor, deputy governor, said, uh, we've got ages to to raise rates. Um, we need to check more what happens with Brexit and inflation, and our our job is to you know try and keep a A lid on inflation but also make sure that no one's getting you know unemployment doesn't start spiking up um so you know it it comes back to this thing that this this nickname that somewhat haunted mark carney the unreliable boyfriend where we we feel he often flip-flops about wh- whether he thinks interest rates should go up or down. I think the fact that three members of the Monetary Policy Committee voted last month to raise interest rates suggests that there is a sort of momentum building for pushing them up. And even if they, I mean, they would only be pushed up, I think, by you know, to 0.5%, which which wouldn't make a huge amount of difference. Um, so I think it's a long way off before we start seeing rises that will affect households in a dramatic way.
4: Yeah, I'd like to agree with that. I think half percent on uh, interest rates, really. I mean, I, I, I can recall taking out my first mortgage many, many years ago, and it went, went to something like to 19%. It was pretty horrendous. We're never going to see that again, thank God. Of course, the big big problem is going to be, um, that the government, the the, the governor of the Bank of England has two two main things to look at. One is inflation, and one is consumer lending, and and the two really are pulling in different directions at the moment. I suggest it's part part of the problem he has. I'm baffled. I mean, I don't think it's helpful for, for business for him to say one thing, one week and one one, one thing the next. And of course, he was actually when he was appointed, he he talked a lot about forward guidance, didn't he? He's doing a lot of forward guiding at the moment, unfortunately in different directions.
2: It's not a good. It's not a good image to portray, is
4: it? Tom? It's
5: not. But to be fair to Mark Carney, central bankers. Why uh, across? Well, yeah, a good point. But no, to be to be fair. Yesterday, uh, there was lots of complaints about central bankers because the ECB was having a similar problem. In that Mario Draghi, the president of the European Central Bank, on Tuesday had said uh, the eurozone economy is looking pretty good. Our huge package of stimulus looks like it will push inflation up back to the levels we wanted and push up growth, and. Naturally, markets took that as a uh, sign, perhaps, that maybe they'll wind down some of their quantitative easing and, and all the huge boosts that they've given to the eurozone economy. The following day, senior officials go, no, 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 you missed, you missed just the speech. This this is completely wrong. We're a long way off that. So then the euro declined. So there was lots of seesawing on markets as central bankers sent out mixed messages across Europe and the UK, I'd say.
2: Emily, just a, a quick thought on, on those big-ticket energy uh, projects we were mentioning earlier in the podcast, they obviously can be financed with cheapish money that we're talking about. Do you see or hear from any of your contacts reasons to be worried about a quarter-point rise in interest rates or, frankly, are these borrowing such huge sums of money? It's really not going to make a difference and if they're going to carry on, they will. It won't be interest rates that derail them.
3: I think, actually, when you come to the the nuclear projects, um, in the end... uh, EDF and its partners for Hinkley ended up sort of building off balance sheet, financing it largely through equity. And when it comes to the next generation of projects, um We are witnessing an ongoing lobbying effort by companies to try and make the government loan them some cash because, however cheap borrowing may be at the minute, it's still an unfeasibly huge amount of money they need to borrow to finance these nuclear plants. And actually, they still can't do it on their own, partly because, you know, the risk involved in these projects is so huge. We saw the National Audit Office coming out last week condemning in fairly harsh terms the deal that was given to Hinkley Point. Um, and, you know, if you're project financing a multi-multi-billion pound nuclear plant, then uh, there is a lot of risk involved in that borrowing.
2: Quick thought from you, Martin. Do you expect a rate rise this year or not? No. I think from a business perspective, I, mean, I could be wrong, I haven't the
4: faintest idea. I'm, I'm not not predicting these things. Uh, on balance probabilities, I suspect probably not. If it is one, it'll be a, a token gesture. 0.5%, as Tom says, and all that's saying is, look, you know, their direct, the future direction is upwards. From a business perspective, um, businesses are either stuffed with cash and aren't bothered or they have long-term borrowing facilities locked in place at extremely attractive rates. It wouldn't make a blind bit of difference to UK business, I don't think. Tom?
5: Uh, it's a real tricky one uh, markets are all saying about 2019 but I think yeah I think perhaps around the Christmas time of this year start of next year we will see it we will see a rise Oh,
0: happy so Christmas! Your, your bets there Tom I mean, uh, Yeah, so it'll I'm it'll be Christmas will this year
4: or, or start well, January, of next year so yeah, is it going yeah. to be this year or next year
5: uh, uh, alright I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say the end of this year there you go. So within this calendar year?
4: Yeah. Good. I'm saying I'm saying next year. Okay. Excellent. We'll see who's wrong. Are you a gambling man? <laughs> sort them out, Emily.
3: What this sounds think? almost as risky as forecasting oil prices. I'm keeping clear.
2: Dear, and I won't even ask you that one. All right. Thank you all very much. And that's about it for now. But uh, watch out for those financial updates in the coming days. As we said, there's Ocado, uh, St. Modwin Properties in Countrywide. And you'll find all those in the other news and analysis online your phone, I was going to say your telephone, I mean your mobile phone, tablet or in in the paper. If you are a subscriber, then don't forget to sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime email bulletins from Richard Fletcher. If you aren't, then go to thetimes.co.uk and you can sign up there. And we are on iTunes, so you can subscribe. Now, all our three guests, my thanks, obviously, to Martin Waller, Emily Constant, and Tom Knowles. They're all on Twitter, so you know what to do. Follow them.